We've been singing a great deal about the Holy Spirit, and as Pastor Malone mentioned at the very beginning, we are celebrating the festival of Pentecost in the church year, which really is is kind of celebrated as this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that, that we remember from the, from the book of Acts. And it is for those in the Lutheran church, I think, the only day of the year that we're allowed to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, this weekend, uh, we had a, a men's retreat, and, and since Pentecost was coming up, we devoted our, our topic of discussion to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think between that and today being Pentecost, will probably be the most time in my life that I've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm also seeing it's also the only time we can get people to sit in the front row. <laughs> but that is uh, one of the, the quirks of, of being Lutheran, and I know there are a number of, of guests with us today, and, and I know some in the room newer to the Lutheran faith than, than others. Uh, but that is one of the things that, that we often struggle with, is this discussion of the Spirit. What is it that the Spirit does? I think the, the best that I can equate it with, in, at least in, in Lutheranism, is we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like, you know how everyone has that uncle? I, like, like everyone had, they, I don't have to, I'm not going to give too many examples from, from my own family uh, to, to spare any embarrassment, but everyone kind of, they have that uncle and, and some of you know what I'm talking about, some more than others. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I hate to break it to you, you might be that uncle. <laughs> but, but we all, we, we maybe have that family member whose behavior makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We don't really understand why they do what they do. And, and whenever they're in the room, we're, we're not quite sure how to handle their presence. And and that is very much, I think, sometimes the way that Lutherans treat the Holy Spirit. It's this person of the Trinity that we say, yeah, you know, Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit. And and we confess that God is is three in one, not just two in one. And so we kind of have to talk about the Spirit, but we don't really know how or what it does or, or, or what to really do with this person. And so sometimes it's just sort of like we leave... It up to, to the charismatic brothers in, in the faith to talk about the work of the Spirit. But I think it's actually a rather an important thing for us to talk about because if you look throughout the New Testament and you look even in the way that the Spirit is handled in the creeds that the church confesses, the Spirit is very closely associated with the work of the church. That whenever the Spirit is talked about, The work of the church closely follows. That's really kind of what we see in the book of Acts. That whenever the spirit is working, the church is working. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And so to say, what is it that the spirit does is really to also then in turn ask, well, what is the purpose of the church? Why do we even exist? And that, I believe, is is the importance of celebrating Pentecost, is is to remember not just the work of the Spirit, but to also be reminded of what is the work, what is the purpose of the church. And I think actually our reading from Acts chapter 2 begins to show us a little bit of what that is. Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in 
heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see this, this sort of strange account that as the Spirit descends, just as Jesus promised it would descend, we see these three signs that accompany the presence of the Holy Spirit. The first sign that, that's stated here is, is that there is this great rushing wind that enters in and it fills the entire house. Now, if you're, you're familiar, maybe you've, you've heard this before, but actually in the biblical languages, is in both Hebrew and Greek, the word used for spirit is actually the same word for breath or wind. So here we see this first visible sign that this presence of the spirit, as Jesus promised, has entered in. And then the second sign that we're given is, is maybe stranger one, that these tongues of fire, these little sort of flames, they come and they rest on the head of the apostles. Now, what's all of this about? Well, it's also worth noting that the day of Pentecost calendar, which was the, the celebration of the wheat harvest, it's the, the feast of weeks, if you remember your Old Testament history. It's a celebration when, when God's people would gather in the grain harvest. It was a celebration of thanksgiving for God's giving and, and provision of their food. But it wasn't just that. It actually had another meaning and purpose in the Jewish calendar. It was being 50 days after Passover, which is where we get the name Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, it was the celebration and the anniversary of God's revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now, if you flip back to Exodus chapter 19, you might hear something that sounds a little bit familiar. Exodus chapter 19, it says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now listen to this. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of the kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So just as God rested on the mountain in fire when he revealed the Torah to his people at Mount Sinai, so too now the presence of the Spirit, it is coming and it is resting where? On the apostles, on the followers of Jesus. So what this sign is intended to say is just as God revealed his word to his people at Mount Sinai, so too now God is revealing his word through whom? Through his followers, through his people. They are now the place where God's word will be made known to the world. And the third sign then follows suit that the disciples are given this ability to speak languages that they had never learned or understood as the Spirit gives them utterance. 
And this actually connects back to just the chapter before in Acts 1, where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now here's maybe the question that might have been in the minds of the disciples of Jesus when he said this. It says, okay, you want us to be witnesses in, in Jerusalem. That we can, we can maybe handle. We can at least speak to those people. And, and Samaria, there's still kind of like a little bit of a Jewish heritage there. But the ends of the earth, how are we even going to talk to those people? We don't know their language. We cannot speak to them. We cannot even communicate with them. How are we going to be your witnesses? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here, as the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles, we see God doing something very, very important. He is not merely trying to do these miraculous signs and wonders, but these signs are intended to point to something more essential. Now, what God is doing by pouring out the Holy Spirit on His people is He is uniting them to do the work that He has called them to do. He is uniting them for the mission that God has given to His followers. Now, maybe that, that sounds all fine and good, but to the people who are looking on as they see this, it's met with a great deal of confusion. We're told in in the verses that follow, verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude, they came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them in his own language. So these people, they're they're looking on, and and they're hearing this this great rushing wind, and, and they begin to hear the disciples of Jesus speaking in their own languages. They're like, how is this possible? These men, they're all from Galilee, this obscure little region in Israel. How are that? Am I hearing these men speak in my own native tongue? And Luke then goes on to list for us all of the regions that they're from, that they're from all over. The regions that he lists, they basically cover the entire Roman Empire. This is for those people of that day, virtually the ends of the earth that are gathering and hearing the apostles speak in their own native tongue. Now, not everyone is is curious about this. Some just want to sit by and mock. Verse 13, but others said, they are filled with new wine. They, They just had a little too much to drink already. Now, now Peter, he, he hears this, this mocking, and he hears the bewilderment, and so he boldly stands up to preach. Now, you know that in the past, Peter is sort of the one who, who classically just is always sticking his foot in his own mouth. But here, after the Spirit descends upon him, he actually is somewhat eloquent. Verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
So Peter says, he says, this is not drunkenness, this is not foolishness and debauchery. No, what you are witnessing and hearing is the fulfillment of a promise. The fulfillment of God's plan and purposes is unraveling right before your eyes. And he goes on to quote Joel chapter 2. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter says, this is not drunkenness, this is not foolishness, it is the fulfillment. That that day when God pours out His Spirit without measure, not merely on His prophets, not merely on the few, but when He offers it to all, that day, Peter says, has come. And that Spirit has come to unite God's people from out of every nation, to unite God's people from the ends of the earth under that proclamation of the gospel. Under that promise that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone who falls at the foot of the cross of Jesus, everyone who comes to Him and clings to that grace and mercy that His blood promises to us, everyone who calls on the name of that Lord will be saved. So what here do we see is is the deal with the Spirit? What is it that the Spirit does? Why is it poured out on the church? Is it just about creating signs and and wonders and, and all of these sort of strange things that we don't understand? Or is it something else? And, and what is, sort of conversely with that, the purpose of the church for which we've been given that spirit? And, you know, we're, we're tempted to, to give a lot of, of different answers for what the church is and, and what it is that we're all about. Sometimes we maybe are tempted to treat church like it's just another social club. Like, like your country club or your Elks Lodge or, or whatever the case may be, that it's just another one of those groups and, and we get together to, to have a good time and, and sing some songs and, and feel really good about ourselves. Other times that, that we maybe think that the church is, is merely about maintaining some heritage or, or tradition. At other times, the church is, is perhaps treated like this vehicle that is just intended to accomplish sort of moral formation and, and accomplish some, some good in the world or be a vehicle for political reform. Now, it's not that, that these aren't necessarily things the church can't do or, or doesn't do, but are these the primary things that the church is about? 
You see, the answer that Pentecost gives us is that the church is, quite simply, the people of God, united from every place, from every language, from every region, from every gender under heaven. It is the people of God who are united and empowered to accomplish one thing. To make God's salvation known. That is the reason for our existence. That is the purpose and the mission that we have been given. To be united and empowered by the Spirit. To go forth and proclaim Christ. Proclaim His promises. Proclaim His forgiveness. His salvation. And make it known to the ends of the earth. That is our reason for being. That is why we are here. We gather around what? The word and promises of God week after week after week. And we believe that when we do it, the Spirit is present. It's empowering us to believe those promises. It's empowering us to trust in those promises. Empowering us to go and proclaim those promises. I see the problem is, is that when we lose sight of what the real work of the Spirit is in our midst, we lose sight of our reason for being. When the church loses sight of the Spirit, we forget why we exist. We forget the purpose that our God has given to us. And when that happens, we can very easily become divided along the same lines that we see the world divided by. I'm sure we've all seen it right now. And frankly, it's nothing new. We see it already taking place in the New Testament, if you've ever read the, the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, this is what has happened. People, they become divided along lines of, of socioeconomics. And so the wealthy are given preferred status and, and, and the, the poor are, are sort of shoved in the corner. Or, or those who are given these great uh, visible signs and, and gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. Oh, those must be the favored people of God. And if you don't have the sign, well, God might be okay with you, but, but He doesn't like you quite as much. Or they're divided along the lines of, of what teacher they follow. Do they follow Paul or Apollos? Are they one of the real authentic Christians? We just follow Jesus. And Paul's answer to that in 1 Corinthians is, is simply this, is Christ divided? Is the gospel divided? Is that word that we have been given to proclaim, is that divided or is it one? Is it singular? Because if Christ is not divided, then we are not to be divided because we are the people of God who have been given that spirit to be united under that one singular goal and purpose, making the gospel known. That is what the Spirit is given to us to do. And so today as we gather and we celebrate Pentecost, we are called here to remember what it is that unites us. To remember that we're not people who are, who are united by, by culture or language or, or status or anything else like that, but we are people who are united by the Spirit. And united under that one thing, the promises of God that have been made known to us in Jesus. 
His forgiveness that is poured out on the cross. The new life that is promised in His resurrection. That is what unites us. You note that in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit does not cause the many to become like the few. Right? The, the Spirit does not make the people from all of these regions able to understand or, or, or suddenly able to speak Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever it was that the apostles would have spoken. He doesn't make the nations like the Galileans, but rather what he does is he makes the Galileans able to speak the language of the nations so that everyone hears them in their own native tongue. I believe that's intended to be a sign for us, that it is not language or culture or anything like that that unites us. But we are united as the people of God in the power of the Spirit under that one singular proclamation of Christ and His love for the world. So people of God, as we gather and we celebrate Pentecost, may you remember that we are a people who are united out of every place. United not just as as this community, but united with every Christian community throughout the world. We are people who are united by the Spirit out of every time and every place, every language and culture. And may we not merely gather in the Spirit, but may we go in the Spirit. May we go into the world, into the places that our God has called us. And may we go as people who are empowered and strengthened by the Spirit to make God's salvation known. Amen.